Welcome to Filtered Noise, a weekly-ish electronic music podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Vincent Giles. In this introductory episode, Bray and I introduce ourselves and discuss some of our recent activities, thinking and influences, and listenings. This episode is longer than future episodes will be due to the personal introductions and general teething and learning rambles. There are some swears in this episode, and due to the nature of COVID-19 lockdown policies here in Melbourne, we were unable to record in person. Consequently, the audio quality is not as high as we would like. One final note is that you'll hear excerpts around the musical tools we discussed during the show. We hope you enjoy Filtered Noise. This is, uh, what do we call it? Filtered Noise? Filtered Noise is the working title, I guess. Yeah, episode 00, our first, first edition. Proof of concept. Exactly. Proof of concept podcast. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So introduce yourself, Bray. Let's start there. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, My name is Bray Grimes. I'm a musician, uh, among many other things, uh, who've informally studied electronics (laughs) in a way. but uh, I have a some sort of piece of paper that says I'm allowed to do this publicly, this music thing. <laughs> um, my degree was in <laughs> my degree was in improvised music and trumpet specifically. But um, I've sort of carried over into various areas along the way and got interested in electronics a couple of years ago. So that's kind of my litmus story, and enough that anyone would care about anyway. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, my name is Vincent Giles. I'm what? a composer primarily. Sorry, you were going to say something? Oh, I was going to say, and what about you? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah. I guess my, I have a bunch of degrees, but my, my undergraduate degrees in composition. Um, and over the period of that degree and ever since I've had an interest in computer music, which has morphed into um, an interest in electro- uh, hardware electronics and a whole bunch of other things like that. Um, but my practice is mainly improvised music and composed dots on paper. So, mm. what, what do you reckon was like the, the moment that, um, that clicked for you for, to go from, say, a traditional music or a traditional music instrumentation to electronics uh, particular what got you interested in the hardware side of it what got you interested in the tactile sort of part of it well it's a good question I think the it started out because I was playing bass before I went and studied composition and I was working in like pop and rock and jazz and all that kind of stuff and I didn't even know that computer music in the broad sense of the word existed. I knew that computers were used in recordings and I'd done quite a bit of that myself, but not computer music as a discipline. So when I was doing my undergraduate degree and I got introduced to Max MSP and Pure Data, um, something really clicked for me because it was the first time that I'd stumbled across music that kind of resonated the most with my way of thinking about music. And I'd always had this interesting dilemma, I suppose, in my pre-composition music career where the way I thought about music and the way I felt music 
seemed at odds with how a lot of people that I was interacting with did. And so suddenly yeah. I was exposed to computers and algorithmic composition and, and senses of time that are, that are not grid-based and senses of pitch that are not grid-based as well. And that opened up this massive, massively important interest for me to, to develop my own software. And eventually I ended up working with my own instruments, uh, building my own instruments using various bits of software, Max MSP, Pure Data, Super Collider being the main ones. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got a job lecturing in composition and spending a lot of time working in front of a computer in a way that is maybe not the enjoyable or as enjoyable as it was to create music in front of a computer previously. And that was where I just went and got into some hardware and um, it was that ability to set up a studio environment that was completely free from the computer that I, and I yeah. spent a bunch of time, even though I still use the computer quite a lot. Um, and absolutely that's what I'm going to talk about today actually, but it was just <laughs> that, that sense of tactility and immediacy that building things algorithmically, building things on the computer just doesn't have. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way about like my attraction to synthesizers. I come a, from a sort of different perspective. Um, I never went through the computer music thing as much as what you did. And I've been following your super collider thing. Um, I have to ask you about that yeah, cool. in a, in a, in a moment. I'm sure you're going to talk about it anyway, right? Maybe. Yeah. I'm going to be talking about title okay, cycles great. actually. Oh, title cycles. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. That's what I meant. Um, uh, so I think like my perspective, I come from playing an, a brass instrument. Um, I grew up playing guitar and all sorts of other things just because, uh, there's very clear limitations to what a trumpet can do. <laughs> mm. It's sort of built, built into it. Um, but having said that, I, not to big myself up and if I'm capable of doing more than what the instrument's doing, I got interested in using the trumpet in different scenarios uh, outside of um, outside of what it would traditionally be used for um, in terms of sonically. Um, and that kind of got my interest in sort of more exploratory music in that way, uh, using what they call extended techniques. I just think they're techniques. Right. <laughs> they're all yeah. just techniques. Yeah. Um, so exploring sound and things like that led me down a road of pedal like guitar pedals as a simple thing adding that um yeah yeah it's it, it's a while ago i for a long time i used garage band to process yep. the sound of my trumpet and uh do all Sick. sorts of things uh, <laughs> like that. That. Yeah, it, that, that it, so totally bucks the trend of like using ableton live or max msp or super Glider or something like that to do the processing yeah. using garage band of all things and I mean, it's it really powerful i mean if you had an interface with an ipad or something you could do all of that processing through an ipad not even using yeah it. i think it might have been pre-ipad yeah right. that's how long ago yeah. i was I, I was doing that um and i had a couple of gigs in a place called wabi sabi cafe that my friend um chrissy owned she's another queenslander um who moved down here um using like a, a midi keyboard uh, that had like broken keys and all sorts of things to trigger different sounds, uh, mainly like an electric piano sound with a 
ton of reverb and a lot of delay. It was very, very rudimentary. Um, and then I sort of like abandoned the, did a degree and, you know, mm. did the whole thing. Um, but then I got a, my first uh, modular synth, um, probably about three years ago now, uh, Moog Mother 32, which is, um, you know, quite a, it's like a pretty complete package, semi-modular mm. synthesizer. Um, and, you know, you know, you can get lost in patching and, uh, unlike you, the, the grid thing didn't really, uh, necessarily apply to my sensibilities of the, since that, that hardware synth initially. Mm-hmm. Um, but then through time, I was able to sort of start escaping the sequencer and, um, doing other things, uh, obviously had the complementing DFAM, um, that I purchased and then it's starting to grow and shrink and grow again. <laughs> so, as as, they, as yeah. they tend to. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, what was like the, the introduction to modular for you? Um, I think it was, well, the first piece of kit that I got, I started with the, um, pocket operators, which aren't technically modular. Yeah. But yeah. because they can be kind of changed together, I was interested in um, I, I, one of the overarching things that I have in my musical practice is restrictive practices. So really yeah. um, limiting the scope of what I can do with any given context. And so the pocket operators seem the perfect way to segue into hardware um, in a way that's expandable, like a modular synthesizer, but mm. super restrained. Like the... You know, yeah. The, the, yeah. and I started, the first one I got was the Speak, which I've still got, I haven't used any of them for ages, but I got the Speak because, yeah. it, because it's a vocal synthesizer or, or a sample synthesizer, I guess, that you can record into. I thought it would be really fun to do in a live context with, you know, sampling real time, transforming in real time, sequencing it in real time and just doing other stuff. And I never did that, but that was the, the pathway in. And then um, I got a Make Noise, uh, uh, o coast, no coast, zero coast, whatever yeah. you want to call it, um, <laughs> which is like the the move that you got. That's a complete package, um, yeah. Monophonic. The move that you've got that's uh, polyphonic, right? You can make it polyphonic. It does have, I mean, it doesn't have two oscillators, but it does have a limited frequency os- oscillator. So yeah. you can technically run it uh, polyphonically. Yeah, it's through a, some manipulation. It's a bit like the O coast that that seems to have the capability yeah. to run actually three separate voices, except it's a real mm. pain, pain to use because it does only, it is only a monophonic. Um, yeah synthesizer and then from there i just thought you know what this is this is actually really fun um, and i got a mixed i've got a hybrid setup where i opted to buy Eurorack gear that was housed separately from a Eurorack case so that i could yeah take smaller bits and pieces out as i wanted them rather than having to switch on a, a full case all at one time and it's growing slowly and picking up the clouds uh next week i think finally um right yeah. okay so yeah uh, and i've got a small euro case as well um with a few yeah very, very basic setup but yeah so that was my part mm. yeah how about yourself you obviously you started with the defense but if you moved into euro rack now so what's first yeah. of all I, I guess the question is why move away from the self-contained units or, or move not away from but um 
adjacent to the self-contained units. But secondarily, for you, what is the appeal of modular synthesis? Oh, okay. Um, so that's sort of like they both actually tie in together quite well. Um, the appeal of modular, obviously, is that there are limitless possibilities for what you can do uh, sonically. Um, the initial appeal about modular in particular, not necessarily semi-modular, that's I kind of almost now, having owned a couple of semi-mods since, um, I put semi-mods kind of in their own category of modular, um, mainly because of the fact that they're, they are designed to um, play from the get-go. They uh, are sometimes limited by their own um, operating um, function. So you, the MOOC is great and you can use it without the sequencer, but you have to kind of use the sequencer in it. Like you can't strip it, the sequencer on its own yeah. to something else I see, I see. and play the MOOC at the same, same time. It's, yeah, it's one of the frustrating things. I'll talk about, I was going to say something about the MOOC a little later on as well. So the thing that attracted me to modular synthesis in, in general has just been like the limitless of possibilities, but also you can't like, it is quite a strict practice in a mm. way in the fact that, you know, a, a module does one thing and it mightn't do anything sonically. <laughs> like mm. it, it could That's be, true. It, it, yeah, it mightn't be like a, um, as, as direct as what you think in, mm. in the modular system. So um, the first modular module I got was clouds um, yeah, right. and I used that to start running it through um, like the DFAM and the mother through, through clouds. And um, eventually, eventually it's growing. I've got a list that just keeps expanding, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and uh, in, pertaining to like why I want to build a, a bigger, um, Euro rack, um, rather than moving away from the individual modules that you take out. I don't think I'm necessarily going to do one or the other. I think mm. I'm going to always do both. One of the best things about the Moogs as well and the DFAM, we had a gig, um, mm. a month, over a month ago now, but we had a gig where I took early, early March. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I took the DFAM and uh, the OPZ as, mm. as well. Two very, very different bits of gear, um, but through using them in, as individual units in a different way, gives you this amazing compact setup, like you, like you said. Um, but also it does bring you back to that sort of limiting thing again. Mm. So the big, big Euro rack is like, it's uh, like staring at like the, the gates of, <laughs> of the land of Oz. Um, and then you get inside and the most valuable ones are the ones that are the ones that you've got on the gig that day. So yeah, yeah, there are, totally. there are definite appeals. And I think what it's going to be is I'm going to have this big Euro rack that I strip down into a little box and uh, give myself one little box to um, have that strict um, discipline to it. I really like that idea that using, mm. having a big set of resources and then sort of, narrowing it down for specific purposes, I, I suppose. Yeah. That, uh, I think the goal is at one stage, like I, I do like doing gigs on individual bits of gear with mm. completely modular. That's not possible really. Um, I mean, you could probably do a gig on an oscillator. Um, <laughs> that's but, true. It'd be pretty tricky. I think, but, I think yeah. it'd be kind of cool. <laughs> I think it'd be kind of cool. Um, it, 
you know, you might run out of things to do. Uh, but an oscillator and a, and a filter, for example, mm. like is there, then the possibilities just get far better. Um, yeah. Or at least far more diverse. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, I guess the what I'd like to do is just kind of go over the structure of this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Generally speaking, it, it, it'll probably change haphazardly, but um, the you know today we'll we'll each talk about some stuff that we've been interested in um, recently or practicing recently or whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but more generally, we'll, we'll do a the top, the the flow of the episodes will um, be a discussion uh, or, or, you know, explaining what we've been doing recently, a discussion mm-hmm. around that, um, and then moving into some stuff that we might have found interesting recently. So um, I've been reading some Slavonish Zizek recently and I, I came across a really mm. interesting um, Yeah, you mentioned I'm, I'm interesting. I'm interested. Yeah, and so talking a little bit about some stuff that we might have been inspired by or got us thinking about music in a slightly different way or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then moving into a discussion about something that we've listened to recently that might have been interesting or inspiring or something like that. Mm. And then uh, finish it up. So I, I imagine that it will evolve as this podcast develops and changes, but... At this stage, yeah. that's our working model. Um, yeah, and hopefully we get to share some great music with you along the way too. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, speaking of great music, Bray, yeah. how about you tell us what you've been working on and uh, thinking, yeah. about it, okay. thinking about it, but working on practising what's been catching your musical interest in a practical sense recently? Uh, practically, I've been, I've, because of this sort of lockdown scenario, um, I've been trying to um, diversify a little bit more. I've got, uh, a, a, <laughs> strangely enough, an electric guitar, but it's an electric bass guitar. So Ooh. six strings down an octave. Yep. Um, and it's, it's cool and fun to play, and I've been writing a whole heap of totally different tunes on it. But electronically, uh, one of the things I've been doing is restricting myself to that OPZ, uh, using a lot more of the tape and uh, sample functions um, to uh, produce some sort of music. Mm. Uh, that's something that I've, I think I'm finished. I might have a few little things to touch up and then it, uh, hopefully I'll record it and have it out on Bandcamp soon. But it's very much inspired very much inspired by sort of a, a whole heap of electronic music that I kind of got used to listening to in working environments. So you, we at, I, I work for a, a music manu, a musical instrument manufacturer um, and in, in our office lives, which we don't have at the moment, we always have like sometimes lo-fi hip-hop, sometimes J-pop, sometimes... You know, we've had everything on the radio there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's it's kind of weird not to, and it's it's chosen by the staff too. So it's kind of weird not to hear like this mix of musics, uh, particularly electronic musics. I think I think marketing controls it. So <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, right? They're the ones with the like. Nah, they're actually cool. I, I like them. But um, yeah, hearing a a whole heap of that sort of music 
um, and I've been kind of putting it on in the background while I work and it strangely makes me feel like I'm being more productive. So in line with that, I've tried to, I tried to create that sort of office environment um, on this, the, the tiny OPZ, which I'm, I'm really, really impressed with um, and sort of make a, a, a work day flow with a little bit of my own sensibilities harmonically and rhythmically. Um, of course, like OPZ's got some great functions like that you wouldn't <laughs> expect to. Like you can make Euclidean rhythms on mm, an OPZ, cool. things yeah. like that. Mm. So I'm incorporating things that I find interesting within the OPZ itself into music. Yeah. yeah. What about you? What are you working on? Tidal cycles, live, live coding. Yeah. Yes, um, I, I have. I did catch you on YouTube. Oh, cool! You do it fairly. You do. You do like a, maybe three or four. Yeah, um, I was that. I caught. I was doing them a couple of times a week when I when this lockdown thing first started. After I got over the shock of that and adapting to teaching from home, which was quite a uh, quite a process. I, I was doing it, yeah, a couple of times a week. Um, I've stopped recently because I started to learn more about it. Um, which I'll talk about in a sec. So I've been interested in live coding as a practice for about three years, maybe four. Um, and I started working with or trying to work with tidal cycles about four years ago, I think three and a half to four years ago, without any success whatsoever. Now, to be fair, the language itself, so it's a text-based programming language um, that is actually a, a type of front-end, I suppose, for the super collider programming language, um, or, put, or at least some a sampler engine and synthesis engine built into super, that's built with super collider called SuperDirt. And I've been interested in live coding, yeah, as I said, for, for quite a few years, and I've tried experiments, even as probably as far back as 2012, actually, doing live patching with max msp now that doesn't work particularly well um because whenever you patch a, a new audio object in um it restarts the audio scheduler so you gotta drop out in the audio every time which is which is quite annoying and i never had the the chops and super collider to do live um responsive coding within super collider list there are a heap of people doing and um it's amazing to see build, you know, function building and all that kind of stuff in real time and then mm -hmm. controlling it. But Tidal Cycles is a is a really fascinating live coding system because it's built by a guy named Alex McLean from Sheffield in the UK. And it's fascinating because it operates on a principle of cycles rather than beats and... Um, steps or whatever kind of, or, you know, it's, it's, it's grid-free, effectively. And so for me, it resonates beautifully. It, 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 it's highly influenced by Hindustani rhythmic um, concepts. But for me, it's, it's, it's a really nice and really expressive way of creating algorithmic music. So Tidal Cycles operates within the space of largely what is called algo-rave, which is short for algorithmic raves. Mm -hmm. um, now, dance music is something I love, but I've never been someone who goes to nightclubs, I've never been someone who goes and listens to dance music in that context, so it's kind of an interesting, nerdy hybridization of music that I really like, processes that I really like, 
and a way of thinking about musical time that I really like. Mm. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what I've been working on, I suppose. No, that does answer my question. <laughs> and I, 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 when I saw you on Tidal Cycles, um, and I listened to the, like what was coming out. I, I loved it, and I was like, "Oh, I should put this on the work computer." <laughs> yeah, who cares? Uh, I should put this on the work computer because my my computer screen at the moment doesn't yeah. isn't working properly. Uh, so, but, so I was thought mm, maybe maybe I should. And then I looked at how much was involved in it, and I'm like, I do have a lot of time. <laughs> and, <laughs> Yeah, so it, it hasn't happened, but mm. um, I, I was inspired. The, the results you were getting out of it were incredible. I oh, it's, ast- it's astoundingly powerful. Like, yeah, you know, I, I haven't yet reached a point where I, I, I guess it's kind of like you with the OPZ. I'm, mm. as you were saying before, you're focusing on a few little functions of the instrument at a time. And yeah. I, I kind of like to think of it as an instrument, even though it's a highly flexible, mm. amazingly, powerful instrument um yeah it's the idea i've been focusing on because i'm learning it properly now um i've been focusing on improvising with only one or two functions at a time and building things up with yeah. minimal things so that mm. really test the limits of what those functions are capable of yeah absolutely yeah um so coming from basically I have one side of me that can operate free of the the grid as we'll call it I think the grid's a great great term for it on on one part of it like uh, playing brass instruments playing guitar Mm. um, there's a lot of times I do operate within the grid I'd say Mm. like 90% of what I do operates within the grid and then the other 10% uh, generally doesn't uh, like in in any sense of the word um, like Harmonically, uh, sonically, I try to escape the trumpet grid. I think now I've done the same tricks over and over again. I yeah, don't. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and then, like harmonically and uh, rhythmically, so rhythmically, or um, the concept of time is mm. different on those instruments. When I step over to the the hardware synths, uh, because of the equipment that I've got at the moment, um, I find that I end up. Uh, operating within the grid um, as creatively as I possibly can um, using lots of uh, polymetric or uh, polyrhythmic mm. um, techniques mm-hmm. if, if um, the piece of kit I'm working on allows me as well. The D-Fan mm. is uh, like a, it's a really stubborn instrument in a lot <laughs> of lot of ways um, but it is immensely diverse as well if you if you get to learn how to to use it right too mm, and, and a lot of these um, things are right like once you oh, once you get yeah. past the surface you, there is so much depth to these things yeah yeah absolutely even even the one piece of gear like if if you had nothing if you didn't have another instrument except your o coast and that's what you practiced for a year or no coast or zero coast don't mean to offend anyone <laughs> um, but but if you had nothing but that instrument to to play for an entire year and all you want to do is make the sonic possibilities that you want to make just on that one bit of gear it's amazing that after a year you probably won't be sick of the o coast totally you know you might totally. be just scratching the surface in a number of ways i'm not saying that to to say that it's limitless or that it's the best bit of gear to perform music on but 
it's pretty expansive in its capabilities. Absolutely. As it, most as most of these semi-modular or uh, you know hybrid modular boxes are. And it's and from what's interesting about that sort of way of thinking is pushing against those limits forces mm. a degree of creativity. Um, yep. That that is interesting. Yeah. And yeah. often very rewarding. Mm. Um, one interesting thing. So I don't know if you spotted this today. Um, one interesting thing about Moog and the mother 32 and the um, DFAM and possibly the grandmother and the other sort of uh, since that are in that sort of um, esque of their um, production line. Uh, but Moog updated their firmware for the Mother 32. So the the sequencer now has uh, selectable swing intervals. Uh, it's uh, You're able to clock divide um, using the tempo knob in a oh, wow. certain set of setting so and that applies to the sequencer and the sequencer you can now run uh backwards as well like it just used to run forwards yeah. but you can run it um in reverse you can run it um you know, in a pendulum mode so oh, wow. front to back to back to front or random which is interesting so that's it, very it cool like yeah it's it actually i was gonna use this as an example to maybe sequence into the next part of mm. uh what I what I've been thinking about in music mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, speaking of sort of that that grid and that sort of thing, um, I kind of wanted to talk about um, a broader topic about sequencing mm -hmm. um, and cha and changing things together and what that looks like um, with and without a, a sequencer per se. Right. Yeah. So. Um, I've been reading a lot of Japanese fiction lately. Interesting. And um, I'm studying Japanese. Oh, wow. Um, I did not know that. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, it's it's just uh, something I'd been interested in doing for a while. I learned enough that when I was over there, I wasn't a complete dunce. Um, so I could good. order. Yeah, yeah. Or order food, ask where things are, you know, very, very rudimentary and basic um, stuff. But I'm kind of addicted to... Japanese culture and, mm. and, and the language. And I've been reading a lot of like Murakami and uh, Nana Yoshimoto and um, oh, there's another book called Convenience Store and I can't remember the author's name, but it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, uh, uh, and a lot of these books, it's like, I feel like the, the period of time that they talk about I, from the front to the back doesn't really change all that much. It's almost like time doesn't move forward in this book or it does really, really slowly. And it got me to thinking more about sequencing and how I feel about like the, the concept of time, um, both with and without the grid, what I think about repetition and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And <laughs> This all got me looking at Euclid or um, so I was looking at Euclid, um, Euclidean algorithms and yep. Euclidean rhythms yep. and a, a few of those concepts and applying them into um, what music I was creating. So that's kind of been the thing I've been, that's what I extrapolated from reading Japanese fiction, which I've been doing for a while now. Um, and I got into that, that headspace of, um, you know, this this is taking me months to read, and I feel like I'm covering a period of twelve hours. Um, <laughs> uh, but it doesn't make it boring, you know. It doesn't make it uninteresting. 
Um, whereas another, like another one of my favorite authors, authors DBC Pierre, um, there's a book called Lights Out in Wonderland where you can re- you can read it in a couple of weeks if you if you're taking your time and digesting it, you know, mm. um, and it really takes you around the world in in you know a couple couple of weeks wow. whereas other books other books like murakami's iq84 1q84 whatever they call it again ocoast um <laughs> but you 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 read you read that and it it it, I mean, that's probably a little bit more of a faster paced one, probably not the one to, one to pick really, but, um, or pinball pinballs are a really good example of that mm-hmm. Murakami where, where it doesn't feel like much time has passed. Um, even though time has passed, but it doesn't feel like as much, it's really vague in that Interesting. way. Interesting. So, yeah. so can you elaborate on how that sense of time is maybe influencing your concept of music in some way or your practice of yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think it was getting into that Euclidean rhythm idea because I feel like there are like, there are some Euclidean rhythms that just, if you, if you have them um, uh, polymetrically divided, Hmm. they will take a very, very long time to resolve. Hmm. Um, um, And you can, the, the other great thing about Euclidean rhythms is you can have two in a group of seven, and because of offsetting and things like that, you you can resolve them quite neatly or messily, depending on how you feel like offsetting them. Um, if you have one seven over eight, you can, they'll, you know, we, but then with multiple Euclidean rhythms, um, there's sort of almost a choice of where they should resolve, where it feels natural to resolve. Is it all the way through the Euclidean rhythm? Is it just when it feels like there's a sense of one? as well so on a long scale i've been trying to map out euclidean rhythms um for very very long term things on and using the dfam as sort of an interface uh mm. to to do that yep. but also in, in conjunction with other instruments that are pretty rudimentary like metronomes so yeah right um yeah and setting them to different um pulses and things like that and arpeggiator in the OPZ is another one so there's there's a few things it's still operating within a grid definitely and it's still but i guess the feeling of time passing and actual time passing and sort of trying to figure out what where where some of these are more appropriate than others i think that's kind of how it's influenced me at the moment that's really cool it's 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 probably really rudimentary, but at the same time, I think it was just that that flip, that sort of moment of inspiration that you sometimes draw from the weirdest sources. Um, but that feeling of being uncertain about time, having put down a book that I've really enjoyed, and then thinking it's about a day, like <laughs> it's about a, yeah, it's yeah, about a day that this piano tuner had, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, or sometimes it allude, like it alludes in really strange ways. Like they don't sort of cut corners; they just say one year later, <laughs> mm. or you know, and it, and it's like it feels like you've described a day here and a dis- a day three hundred and sixty five days later. Yeah, wow. it's really it's it's kind of odd in some of those ways as well. Convenience cool. store woman's like a really great one. It's 
it's a really small read and it, it feels like the period of a week passes, but in that time she gets married to a, a complete like dead shit and um he ends up working in the convenience store with her at some point and yeah it's well i'm telling this story in reverse and i don't want to spoil it for you so yeah yeah it's it's a great read and it's sort of it fucks with your head sorry i'm gonna swear on this podcast yeah you're gonna be (laughs) yeah it's the sweary sweary podcast officially now (laughs) <laughs> oh great <laughs> yeah you can always beat me in post and i won't do it again <laughs> no i think it's good um, to swear okay yeah yeah i think well <laughs> it's it's not an option on this one unfortunately um <laughs> but yeah that sort of is what i've what i've been looking into for the past kind of long while and i think that's kind of mm. what where the work thing came from too like yeah, the, right. um the idea of putting sort of the work soundtrack in a lot of in a lot of this as That's well cool. yeah it, it's i'm only putting this together now as well so just that 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 idea that yeah eight, eight hours in an office does sometimes fly and yeah sometimes yeah, yeah, it yeah. Takes, like, takes a week yeah it's it, yeah. Uh, yeah i got i got nothing that's really, that's really interesting um mm. and it's interesting as well how and I guess part of the purpose of this podcast, at least for me, is to maybe make those connections by talking it out loud and talking and bouncing the ideas mm. of somebody else and, and, you know, getting a sense of a, maybe a different perspective on that. Or, or yeah. Like that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, sorry. I thought I'd just mention this too because I was talking about Euclidean rhythms before. Um, if anyone's who's listening to this is interested in Euclidean rhythms um, and how it sort of applies to modular um, more, uh, more readily uh, go check out white noises video on it on YouTube. He's great. Uh, I think Greg white is his name. He makes some fantastic music as well, but uh, he's got a thing on the qubit pulsar, which is a a Euclidean rhythm sequencer. Link Um, in the description. Yeah. Link in the description. There's also groove mechanics. You can make your own, uh, Euclidean rhythms online. You can, yeah, cool. uh, I think it's groovemechanics.com slash Euclid. Cool. Good, good, good. Yeah. I, Tell me you, about um, Zhejiang. So the, there's this interesting... Um, I can, I've been reading the Sublime Objective Ideology for at least a year now. At least a year. I mm. just... It's... It's the exact opposite of how you're describing some of that Murakami stuff. Like, this is one of the most mm. arduous reads I think I've ever read, and yet I love it. <laughs> Normal, normally, this stuff I don't like. If I find it so um, plodding to read that, that, that I usually just put it down and just say, fuck it. But <laughs> Zizek is... I think it's just the, the style of writing that Zizek has where it seems to go highly tangentially and then come back to the topic eventually and that's cool that's cool i'm gonna i'm nearly done with the book and i'm gonna try and reread it again but i'm gonna have a bit of a break um to digest (laughs) this fascinating idea came up which was um talking about the object and the subject in relation to Mm. art or media and Zizek gives this interesting example of the title of 
a piece. This is in this case, it was a painting. The subject or the content of the painting and the object of the painting as being three different things. Now, mm-hmm. this got me thinking about. I'll explain a bit more in, in detail in a bit. But it got me thinking about titles in music. Now, generally speaking, when I name pieces of music, I just name it arbitrarily. It's very rarely poetically informed. Um, there's very rarely any relationship to the content or context or anything like that. And so this just on an aside. Hmm. Oh, sorry. Just on an aside for that. I do the same thing. I wrote this whole book of um, music for the Bad Trio, which is one of the trios mm. I, I play trumpet in, uh, just after the date, but it got too hard because I'd be like, oh, the, you know, 12th of the 4th, and they'd be like, <laughs> oh, what's that one again? And, <laughs> yeah, and, right. Yeah, yeah, And so what we ended up doing is we just named them, like, after people. Not after people we know, just people, like Shazza and the first album which is up on Bandcamp um is um except for two tunes which um are the quartet uh yeah they're they're named like that and i've i've snuck really cheeky titles in through the door along the line as <laughs> along the way too so but yes i thought i i, I can appreciate Right. I, I'm, I'm glad. I mean, I, it's usually because I'm not doing anything with any particular poetic intentions. It's more just playing around with technology or playing around with an instrument or playing around. So, so, so naming it poetically is kind of daft in a way. Um, I mean, I've been, doing a, I've been doing a composition a week for the last, for this year, for 2020, um, for the weeklybeats.com project. And um, Oh, yeah. Those every piece is just named after an object that I happen to look at when I hit the export button. So yeah, or or a place that I am when I hit export, you know, something like that. And um, like the last one was called basket after my laundry basket. Which and anyway, this is totally tangential, but it's interesting because I love naming things like that because it it. I, bear with me on a quick tangent here. I attended this. Um, no, no machine learning workshop seminar thing last night um, through Acme X here in Melbourne. Um, it was actually mm-hmm. via Zoom, but through Acme X and the Spirit Level record label, which is, I think, at least partly founded by Gautier, whose name I actually don't right. have an idea. Um, and it was interesting that the machine Wally learning stuff... something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the, the machine learning stuff was interesting, um, but the part of the presentation was an interview with uh, two members of a group called Yacht. Have you heard of Yacht at all? No. It's, no. It's Yacht is in the boat, Y-A-C-H-T. And Yacht did the, their most recent album. They're, they're kind of like a punk rock electronic thing, um, and I'm yet to investigate right. them thoroughly. Um, but their last album was largely done through machine learning. So they created lyrics, they created rhythms, melodies, etc., through machine learning algorithms. Right. Which are, which is to me. I think I've heard of this concept. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Holly Herndon is the, probably the most well-known person in the, the world that I'm aware of doing that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but the the anyway, it was a really interesting discussion with with uh, the two members of Yacht, whose names I forget right now. Info in the description when we get to that. Um, <laughs> and 
it was great because they were talking about how the when you use machine learning to generate lyrics, there's no poetic intention there. And yet the music when created, when performed, when recorded, takes on a poetic meaning. It takes on a subjective kind of personal meaning through the exploration of it, but then it also, yeah, to anybody listening to it, it will take on a different poetic meaning. Um, mm. But the, the singer was saying that that's true even for stuff that was poetically intentioned originally. So they, they've had a career, they've been going for some, like 10 years or something, and they were saying that the, even the lyrics and songs that they wrote 10 years ago have changed their poetic meaning over time as they've performed them repeatedly, as, they, as they've grown older, as their contexts have changed and all this yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. So the idea of arbitrarily naming things isn't, even though it has no poetic intention for me, I find it interesting because it still has poetic meaning after the fact. Mm. And that ties in conveniently to the Zizek thing. But did you have a question or something about that? Um, no, 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 I don't think so. I, I did have a, I did have, I had some point to make. <laughs> cool, perfect. <laughs> so, so jumping back to this Zizek thing, which seems to have very little with ideology, has has seems to have very little to do with ideology. Um, he gave this example of a painting. Now it's apparently a joke because I couldn't find the painting anywhere. I did a Google search for it. But there's a running joke about a painting. Uh, I'll try and tell us that, actually, you know what? I'm just going to read it from the book because I think that will make much more sense. Okay. At an art exhibition in Moscow, there's a picture showing Lenin's wife, basically, in bed with a young member of the Komsomol. The title of the picture is Lenin in Warsaw. A bewildered visitor asks a guide, but where is Lenin? The guide replies quietly and with dignity, Lenin is in Warsaw. So <laughs> what's fascinating about this, um, so first of all, Lenin create is a, is a third subject uh, of the painting. So to go back to my yeah. notes of this, and, and Zizek goes on to talk about that, talking about the, the, the lack or the signifier of lack, something missing from the context. So I found this really interesting. So if you think about the title of something, the object of something and the subject. Now, Shishek goes on and talks about the subject being the content of whatever it is. Mm. So if we think about music, a piece of music has content um, rather than, say, YouTube content or something like that. Mm. Um, and in this case, the title, Lenin and Warsaw, the, in the picture, the subject is Lenin's wife plus this other man in bed together. Mm. That's the subject or the content of the, the picture. And Lenin is actually the object of the picture and thus the, mm. ti the title character, the titular character of the, the picture. Okay, mm. so all of this is fascinating and, uh, as I'm sure everybody would think. But what I find interesting about this is it's the absent object from the field of view from the position of the viewer. Okay, so... so in naming a piece, we suggest some reference to the content, but what Shijek is suggesting here is that often titles in art don't need to relate to the subject, but can instead relate to a third object that is not present in the context or the content. 
And I found this is a really interesting musical concept, or at least a, a, it's stewed away. This is only a few days ago, so I haven't been stewing on this for particularly long, but it struck me as something really, really interesting. When you have, you know, poetic meaning, let's, let's think about a song, and I'm not a songwriter, I don't do that, that kind of music, but yeah. thinking about the content of a song with lyrics and this kind of poetic meaning, but what if there was something external to that frame of reference that was actually the object of the song or the object of the piece of music, where the, all of the content or the, the subjective material of a piece of music was actually nothing to do with the title or the object, but rather goes to illustrate the absence of the object. And I just thought mm. that was an interesting concept to, to, to show the absence of something through other means and have the absence of something the actual object or the actual intended purpose of the thing. Mm. That is know. interesting. Because uh, one, one thing that I, I'm thinking of right now is like there's so many times where I've performed live improvisations that I know the aim of and maybe if I'm improvising with someone, they know that know they know the aim of, but it never has a title per mm. se. And therefore, but I still think that there probably is a title in, in that as well, because maybe there is an objective and therefore there is like a, a there there is a possible title for something as well in mm -hmm. this case so even if it is just improvisation between Vince and Bray number 1 yeah. that's the title that is not necessarily giving away that it's completely improvised there is no score or anything mm. but it could allude to the fact that there actually is a score and an and something as well. Yeah, I mean, you saying that reminds me a little bit of um, Anthony Braxton's, you know, composition number, whatever, mm. whatever, whatever, which is so heavily improvised. Mm. At least some of them are, and yet the title is composition, yeah. so it, it sort of indicates that ambiguity between composition and improvisation in that context. I don't know. Yeah, and also, you know, something like Cobra, Thorns mm. Cobra. That's uh, that is really interestingly named as well. Um, for yeah, for its lack of actual live cobras, I guess. Um, <laughs> but it also uh, has something more. Yeah, 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 and, and also there's yeah, there's all these elements of that which are, you know alluding to the fact that you could extrapolate meaning from Cobra. Totally. Even though it really doesn't have all that much to do with Cobras. Or, or I mean, because that's part of the game pieces, right? Yes. That's is, there, right. is there a game called Cobra that it refers to? That's the game, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So but that's, that's fairly, I would imagine, uncommon knowledge. I, I would imagine that just, yeah. just listening to the content like not doing any mm. additional research, but if you just heard the piece performed and saw that it was called Cobra, you wouldn't necessarily mm. know that that's based on a game called Cobra, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. In the same way, I don't know if Cobra has any reference to 
like any particular meaning to Zorn either. Mm. Um, and, I, and I've performed Cobra before yeah. and apparently illicitly because you have to be invited to perform it. I was invited by somebody, but they weren't invited by John Zorn. So, <laughs> you know, so there's like, they, they really have to, at a stretch, take that lineage, you know? So what's, what's your opinion of it? How do you think it's going to change your practice moving forward? I'm not sure yet. I, I think it just made me reflect and it was interesting that coincidentally there was this talk by Yacht on this uh, machine learning thing, mm. talking about the poetics of stuff. I mean, they weren't talking about poetics per se, but, but that's my um, reading of it and, and my interpretation of it. And it's just an interesting thing to think about because I've for so long labelled my pieces arbitrarily, you know. And when I try mm. poetic labelling of things, it just sounds contrived. Like, it's awful. I, I wrote a I wrote a piece back in 2012 for a chamber ensemble and um, it's called A Glimmer of Foresight, which is mm. such a contrived title. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. It's awful. I mean, I love the piece. Yeah. But it's, it's awful. And I tried for so long to think of, like, you know, impressionistic style titles, you know, like... Um, footsteps or you know something that's, that's evocative of something else but but really when in my opinion the best relationship between the the form the content and the title occurs when it's an arbitrary title mm. but not a meaningless yeah. arbitrary title like a date and so that harkens back to what you were saying earlier about yeah. the dates the dates were complicated or made things harder and so just naming them after people not real people people actually was helpful yeah. and suggests a degree of poesis that even if that's not there. Yeah. I guess the other thing about giving them people names, I'll say, <laughs> um, was that when you call them on a gig, like it kind of gets a bit of a laugh out of the audience too. Like mm. you call, okay, boys, let's play Ursula. Yeah. Like legitimate yeah, yeah, yeah. title. And, yeah. you know, I, I but, all of those names came from places and it came from our, our like the way we like to rehearse in that band, which is basically mm. we, we have fun. There's a lot of banter that goes on. Um, we like to banter with the audience a bit and really, uh, you know, it's, it's very much entertainment, but with polyrhythms. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But the whole date system, you write two tunes that, two days in a row and it kind of throws it out the window. But yeah. those dates also remind me of the context of it too. Yeah. Because I was in a particular place, I keep a diary, you know, I could cross-reference a lot of those things. But that, I mightn't yeah. be able to do that now. Yeah. I mean, I, it's interesting. I, my All my title cycle stuff is just, you know, 200429 if mm. it was today. You know, to that 2020, 04 for April. 29 for the 29th yeah. and then if i yeah. do multiple sessions it'll be dash one dash two dash three dash yeah. four dash five that's while i'm happy to label things like that it's not it i guess ironically it lacks the poetics that i actually want a finished piece to have yeah so that they're, they're kind of working titles that i can work with and go back to sessions on certain days and that as you said reminds me mm. of the context of what i was thinking about what i was doing mm. But then when I actually release something or finish it, I want it to have a title, even if it means nothing to me. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like I think now that I've gone 
even from, you know, the sort of uh, cataloging it in a particular way um, by, you know, basically making it seamless number to number, mm. date to date, memory to memory. Um, I feel like now having gone through that and having gone through the thing where I just give titles stupid names because I wasn't taking them too seriously, mm -hmm. you know, writing them. Um, and now when I'm releasing electronic music, I kind of think of that contextually of where it sits today in like a, in the landscape of me, like in my musical development and the current state of music at the moment too, where is, you would say that 90% of what's released is very, very, you know, well, that's uh, maybe not 90% of what's released because a lot of music's getting released all the time now, which is great. But say the mainstream part of music is very, very produced, very, very heavily influenced in that grid, mm -hmm. in that one way of thinking that's sort of been on uh, stuck on repeat. Don't want to go on about it too much, but you know, there is a, there is, there's a state of music that, you know, is for me ever evolving while the rest of it stays the same. Maybe it brings it back to that sort of time thing for me as well. Like yeah. I feel like I've been listening to 24 hours of music for the last 10 or 15 years at least. Mm. Um, the same 24 hours of music over and over again. Um, but also I couldn't hear something from like a trumpeter like Peter Evans or um, mm. some of the stuff that we've been listening to, I'm sure we're going to talk about um, a little later, but yeah, listening to that sort of stuff. Um, you, you can feel like you've arrived at the future mm, um, and in a lot of ways you have. And I feel like I'm trying to name things in that way. Mm -hmm. So whether it be subject, like it doesn't necessarily line up in that way. Like I use a lot of digits. I put things backwards. I try to codify it a little bit yeah. um, to see. And if someone figures it out, cool, they'll probably get a laugh out of it or they mm. might be like, hmm, that's what it means or that's what this person was thinking. But mm. I like codifying it too. I like making it a bit, a bit puzzling so that there's not, just the music to think about. There's other little things, other little gems, yeah. like we're watching The Simpsons. Poetics, right? Yeah, poetics. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think, and I think you should be able. To, like one thing I about the poetics thing as well is a lot of the time it makes it all a lot more serious than it actually is. Yes, I totally. Think, and you lose a lot of that play and that larrikinism that is so. Um, I think uh ingrained in the musical culture that i'm subjected to a lot of the time yeah and and me too yeah mm. Mm. so speaking of music that we might have been listening to what have you been listening to recently and maybe, maybe choose what's one thing that's caught your ear recently oh i've got i did write down a few things i've been listening to great um but yeah one thing's really quick i'll gloss over it i've been listening to like 60s to 80s um like dance jazz disco funk fusion <laughs> from the from the us ussr in japan oh wow okay yeah 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 uh, awesome. there's a, a a youtube channel i think it's called coffee time or coffee break um i'll put a link downstairs and they like grab these really obscure records that of course we haven't been exposed to and they're very very much 
um, like work jazz, work background music. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting to sort of delve into it and be like, oh wow, like a synth on a <laughs> on a jazz record that's like yeah. really clean cut and things like that. Um, and a couple of other things I've been listening to um, about a month ago. Uh, no compliments put out uh, Pink Musk. Um, that's Alison Wright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trumpet know, player from Melbourne. Know, Alison and her, her yeah. uh, partner Beck put out something too recently. Yeah, yeah. Her partner Beck put out um, something. She's been also on um, uh, oh, the Five Composers Flip One Sample or One oh, cool. Idea thing with I want to say it's not Rick Beato but I know Adam Neely was on it and Ben, ben Levin's been on it it's yeah and she put something out through that and it sounded great um so she she's doing wonderful things Alison of course is also doing wonderful things there's mm. no compliments she put mm. out a, a single about a month ago that's called um Pink Musk yeah is, that. That was uh, amazing. going back to I asked like I I'd heard her play it live uh, when she was in Melbourne. Um, and I was just like, oh, this is for me. I remember this. Um, and she's just like, yeah, I was feeling nostalgic going back to this poetic thing. And it's like, it is like, it's got the refreshing sounds of like a cam being popped or that fizzy sort of thing. To me, anyway, I feel like I hear that even if it, I'm pretty sure it's in the song. I want to say it's in the song. <laughs> but, but it's so, it's so, very much um, along that line of nostalgia to listen to, and you mm. kind of get that pink musk feeling, and you and you hear the sounds, and it's like mm, it does really transport you to a place in that way. Um, so yeah, her I've, I've been listening to a um, couple of other things I've been listening to, and one I'll actually talk about at, in sort of more length. <laughs> mm. Sorry, Alison. Um, uh, Port. Paul Williamson's Dark Energy got out, came out this week and it's a really, really, really good. It sort of reminds me of the sort of 70s period of Miles. Um, Trump, not trumpet to say player that Paul Williamson, right? Yeah, sorry. Trumpet player yeah. Paul Williamson, head, head of jazz at Monash, I want to yeah. say. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, um, it's a great album. It's got Theo Carbo, uh, Hiroki Hoshino and mm. Miles. I uh, can't remember his last name, but on, on drums, they're three young guys. And it's very much like I said that it's, I'm not saying it's like 70s miles. It's very much Paul Williamson, but it has that sort of aura to it. And it's really, really um, probably one of my favorite records that he's done um, there. Um, a while ago, Tool came to Australia and I went and saw them. Uh, and author and Punisher, who's an engineer, inventor musician um has really made a one-man band that's sort of a now it's like a a machine (laughs) it's it's something that you should watch and i think i think you'd dig it but it's very much sort of industrial metal with all these sorts of inventions that are going around that are all uh all electric so they're 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 really, really interesting. It's interesting to watch and interesting to listen to. Mm. But the thing I've really been digging um, is Randall Taylor, a.k.a. Amulets from oh. Portland and Oregon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He, so pretty recently uh, released uh, live at, I want to say, Holocene. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so just some new music from Amulets uh, that's uh, recorded in a live setting and just been released. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really amazing. I thought it was um, probably some of his best work that I've heard. That's on mm-hmm. Bandcamp now. Um, he, he has such a unique um, process. Yeah, I yeah. think I'm just judging by what he does, not um, by anything I've read. Um, but, yeah, some really incredible stuff on Live at Holocene and you can get it on Bandcamp. Awesome. Mm. What about you? Um, look, I, to be honest, I, I want to hear a bit more about Paul Williamson because, I mean, out of all the things that you just mentioned, I mean, that covered so many styles of music and so, so many contexts and... Um, Mm. I mean, you, you know Paul Williamson much better than I do. I met him a couple of times, maybe. Yeah, yeah he was my trumpet. He was um, like I'd been listening to Paul Williamson for for quite a while, um, probably since I, I got out of high school twenty two thousand and four, mm-hmm. um, and so two thousand four was my last year. So two thousand and five, mm-hmm. I'd already heard Scott Tinkler in high school but not live. It was just sort of by chance. That's a story for another time. But probably around, uh, around two years later, I was asking a friend for recommendations of, you know, music like this, which uh, um, was uh, Tinkler and a band named Fats, which Tinkler was in. Mm-hmm. So I was like, eh. um, and I was going to Melbourne and they said, oh, check out Paul Williamson and Eugene Ball oh, yeah. um, while you're there. And they also recommended Phil Slater, who's a trumpet player from Sydney. Um, Paul Williamson was living in Ireland when I went there. So I was just like, oh, that's kind of sucks. And I managed to stumble into readings when I was in, on this visit to Melbourne from Brisbane. And I picked up a couple of his CDs and that's how I first discovered Paul. And then by chance, when I moved to Melbourne, he moved back from Ireland. So oh, cool. I got one lesson from him, found out he was teaching at Monash. Um, and I went and started getting lessons from Paul Williamson. Right. His album, Dark Energy, is like I've been a fan of Paul for a long time. I was really lucky to have learned with him for uh, several years still learn from him a lot of a lot of the time but um i'd always been a fan of everything he'd done he'd had sort of like different periods of music where you're just like oh you're really checking out this you're really checking out this but uh this one is one of the ones where i'm just like oh i know who you're checking out like i i can appreciate the um like what kind of influences are in this music but it sounds more uniquely him than he ever has i think on this record interesting and he's playing with really young cats too um theo carbo's flora carbo's um younger brother right. flora is obviously an amazing saxophone player from melbourne who's uh kicking ass and her she's got an album that's come out pretty recently too which i haven't really checked out yet <laughs> but listening to theo he's he i I couldn't tell you how old Theo is, but he might still be a teenager. And he sounds so, yeah, he sounds uh, so much more mature than his age would tell you. Um, Yeah, he's got some great musical ideas. He sounds like a hybrid of all these things, particularly if I listen to him and I hear like very, very much Australian improvisers mm. and jazz musicians. Like I hear a lot of Ren Walters in his playing. Mm, and, um, interesting. Uh, yeah. And um, trying to think of the guy from Sydney. 
plays in Shower 44. I know, Sammy I think Barker's I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say Simon Barker, but it's not, is it? He's the drummer. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. I am so sorry. If, link, uh, link, if, link in whoever. the thing. Notes in the <laughs> notes. Mate. <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. And the thing, the, one other thing is, like, he's selling it on Bandcamp. Bandcamp at the moment, I think you can stream the whole album. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, worth noting that Bandcamp are doing, uh, waiving their shares yeah. on a few particular dates coming up, uh, one of which is May 1st. So yeah. if you want to check out that one. May 1st, if we've got this out in time, I don't it know. It won't be out by then. <laughs> no nah, way. I didn't think so. But um, to, to they're, June they're or July several yeah. other dates. Yeah, yeah they're absolutely. doing several other dates. Um, yeah, yeah, cool. Thanks for that. That's that's uh, that's good. It's, no it's, worries. It's nice to hear that kind of enthusiasm. One of the things I like so much about talking about music like this is um, when you get a sense of someone's enthusiasm for something, it's mm. at least I find it much more it's that word of mouth thing you know when, when someone shares it yeah for something it's like yeah i really want to check that out now i didn't know it existed until till yeah months, you know, whatever and mm. you know it's, i now i want to go check it out and that's part, yeah. of what I, part of what i hope for this podcast is that kind of um enthusiastic infectiousness to to share music you know Absolutely. And I, I just, I mean, I love so much music and I think every, everyone who I know who's like maybe compositionally minded is the word for it, or at least inquisitive, like um, maybe into listening things to things deeper, um, whatever, if there's a word for that. Um, but those people who are tr- truly throw themselves into engaging with music and being active listeners. Um, when you talk to those people, you really like, you can appreciate their opinion a lot more. Mm. There's no, no music. I won't check out on a good recommendation. Absolutely. Same, same with me. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm. Um, so what about yeah. you? So what have I been listening to? Look, I, I mean, to be honest, I haven't been listening to that much, um, and I feel I've been listening to some podcasts, philosophy podcasts. But <laughs> music that's on my recent sort of music I've been interested in a lot recently. Um, probably the most standout album. There's, there's two albums that stand out for me recently, and both of which are from last year, from 2019. Mm. Um, one is Jenny Haval's "Practice: The Practice of Love." Um, which is a kind of electronic pop kind of thing. Um, in, in a sense, it does the points where it reminds me of Holly Herndon in its use of vocals. Um, some really interesting glitchy vocal type stuff, but it's actually it's a stunning album. So uh, Jenny, I think, is from Sweden or Norway. I, I'd have to check. Um, and I, I can't remember off the top of my head. And she lived in Melbourne for quite a long time and and worked with a bunch of bands here in the, I guess the two thousands roughly. Um, but this album is stunning. It's, it's got some of the most well composed, um, and elegant 
electronics programming and synth parts. I don't know if it's live performed or what, but it's there's just some of the nicest sounding um, harmonic fields, you know, melodic structures, rhythmic structures. Mm. But the, what really gets me is the use of voice. And in mm -hmm. so much of it, it's almost like listening to spoken word. Um, yeah, right. Rather than listening to songs. But it's in the context of a song structure, which makes it highly accessible. But the song structures are pretty unpredictable. So it's ticking all of these interesting exploratory boxes for me. Mm. And it's just, just has these moments of like deep introspection and then these moments of like gregariousness for lack of a better word it's it's right so it really has these you know fluctuations um i like i kind of like those the the feel of music that tugs you from side to side mm, like that me too in yeah there's nothing there's nothing sadder than a song in a major key. <laughs> I think it's like, <laughs> is, is that, that sort of divide? Like um, I'm trying to think of, uh, is it Sam Smith? Is that the, the English singer? Yeah. Yeah. I maybe I could maybe be fucking this up, but, but yeah. also like um, Billy Corgan, Smashing Pumpkins kind of yeah, thing. Totally. That, like the song today, it's all about, committing suicide in weird and wonderful and wacky ways. Mm. And it's, you know, but you just listen to it. It's got this sort of po positive upbeat. It's like mm. one of those things where I've been in tears for both reasons. Yeah. listening to that song, yeah, tears yeah, of yeah. joy, because I'm think, you know, it's got yeah, that bouncy yeah. rhythm to it. Yeah. It's, it's, I like music that tugs you in those different ways. Yeah, but to have that too. extra element of the unpredictability of the music mm. too. That, you know, that sort of ticks another box on, on my yeah list. for sure and that, so i definitely recommend that one and and this isn't really about recommendations just what's been interesting to me and i guess the other one that, that's been um i mentioned three albums and plus the fourth bonus thing but um yeah. the the hip-hop american hip-hop group i'm not sure where they're from but they're called um clipping i'm not sure if you've heard of clipping them. Yeah, the, the album There Existed an Addiction to Blood is I'm not a I'm not someone who listens to hip hop a lot. Um with, with that disclaimer, I love it, but it's not something mm. I would consider that I follow, you know, trends in. I mm. don't see I don't know what the latest, you know, artists are or that kind of stuff. But but clipping was recommended to me by one of the other people that I'm gonna mention. And this album is stunning. It is mm truly it's called it, it, i guess you call it experimental hip-hop um so the the name itself suggests the kind of sound world that exists and you know like clipped waveforms it's that kind mm. of it's brutal sounding in parts it's it's wonderful really um yeah. really interesting rhyming really interesting all, all the things that make really good hip-hop, really good, is present. Mm. And it's just got this really excellent musical base. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it's, that's, that's, a, that's a cracker of a, an album. Um, recently on an album 
uh, sorry, on a record label, local record label, I can't think which one. It probably says here, Pro Provenance Records, by um, which is Stu Buchanan. Um, who, yeah, anyway, interesting dude. And this album uh, is called Truce. It's by Aaron and Kaya. Now, this, this came across my radar in multiple ways. So I actually taught Kaya. Um, oh, right. In her undergraduate degree and... Um, not the whole way through, but, but in bits and bobs. So that came across mm -hmm. me from that perspective, but also I follow Stu Buchanan on social media and he has two great podcasts um, and radio shows. One's called New Weird Australia, um, which was constantly last week before, up until recently, and another one which is called Freakwave. And they're really interesting podcasts. So New Weird Australia deals largely with kind of experimental exploratory electronic music, um, and releases in that that vein, and um, Freakwave deals with underground experimental and strange music from anywhere that's out of the Anglosphere, which I think is a fantastic mm. concept for a podcast. So yeah, so he runs this record label called Provenance, and this album called Truce came out by Aram and Kaya, and it is beautiful. It's um, ethereal, mm. vocal based. Um, so, which is, I guess, the theme that runs through these three albums, at least, uh, is mm. strong attention to detail in the vocals. Um, I haven't actually fully listened to that whole album yet, unfortunately, but I've listened to the first four songs on it, and it's it's beautiful, right? like really great work. And the, the last thing I've been listening to is a friend of mine, um, Mitch Catterall. Um, he, his pro, he's got a couple of projects, um, but the, the one that was has done the most recent work that I've seen is called Bribery. And oh, so you sent this to me on Instagram before we had this podcast. Yeah. I, I just jumped onto Insta to, I don't really use social media all that mm -hmm. much. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I do have an Insta account. So I logged in um, and this is incredible glitchy Mm. <laughs> yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's all hardware based, which is interesting. Um, mm. and, I, and I've known Mitch for about five years, give um, mm. or take five and a half years now. And that, that's a whole story for another time as well. But um, <laughs> there's the bribery project. He has a bunch of projects. Um, and the, the bribery one is, he calls it experimental hip hop. Um, I don't know that I agree with that, but that's cool. That's not my place. Um, but it's just stunningly good quality music. And what I find interesting about it is it's so gestural. And one of the things mm. that I love, and actually that's probably another thing that runs through the, these albums, is there's a lot of gestural activity rather than specifically grid-based, although that's there as well, mm. uh, but a lot of focus on gesture. And so in the bribery work, he did a live stream um, on, I guess it was Thursday or Friday last week, trialing a new audio-visual setup that he built, which was using an old CRT, CRT monitor and using control voltage to trigger um, changes in the, the CRT through a video mixer. It was, it was awesome. So it was, you know, beat-synchronized visuals using analog gear and analog visuals and security cameras. Cool. And so, yeah, multiple video security camera feeds that were mixed through CV 
and glitched through CV and synced to a bunch of tracks that he did. And it was one of, I watched this on bloody Instagram of all things, and it was yeah. amazing. That what was really cool about it was that the highly gestural nature of the music was then amplified by the visuals. So anytime there'd be a ge- musical gesture, you'd see corresponding visual gesture and that the, the visuals just amplified the gestural nature of the music it was great. 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 That's excellent. See, I, uh, I try and remove myself from social media mm. um, for a very number of reasons. But um, one thing I think that's really taken over recently are things like TikTok and uh, Insta. I haven't played around with TikTok. Mm. Um, but I feel like Facebook's kind of like now just like that's what every Reddit joke is about. Like everyone jokes about Reddit as being full of like psychopaths who are just interested in trading like high quality drugs on the dark web. But but really it's like, that's actually what Facebook is to me. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. I I just like, it just like, there's more pleasantries on Facebook. That's the thing. And you, Mm. you add people into your life and you just like, I don't want to know your opinion. The difference between Reddit and is Facebook and Facebook is like a lot of times on Reddit, people are going to just give you your, their opinion. And a lot of the time on Facebook, people are just going to give you their, their opinion, but you know them through a periphery of your cousins, Mm, friends mm -hmm, or something mm -hmm. like it's, it's for me, I, I was just like, Facebook out, Twitter, not interested, but, um, and Reddit, I got into it for a bit and it's got some great things, but it's got a lot of, uh, fat as well. But Instagram is something I think I can get behind again because Mm. of, uh, things, things like this. Um, I'm also like a fan of martial arts and like I'm learning Japanese is one Mm. of the other things that we talked about. And some of the resources that are on particularly like YouTube and um, Instagram are absolutely fantastic. Um, and, and Insta is one of those things that now people are starting to use it for um, like Instagram TV and um, being able to live stream. Uh, particularly I think there's something about doing it from a phone as well. There's something really nice and lo-fi about it. Yeah, that's that's the thing. But also there's something about it being personal and being Mm. your thing. Like you wouldn't necessarily, like a lot of the times if you're listening to music, you're going to have your headphones into your phone per, per se. And so watching a concert with headphones in, you're not, you're, it's just sort of like a, it personalizes it a lot. You're watching mm. your phone by usually by yourself. Like you wouldn't kind of share it as much. Mm, that's like true. It's very much directed to you. Yeah. I think there's some, there's something about that, that it's just like you're speaking to one audience member at a time yeah. through the medium of music. Like I, I'm sure like we're probably, there's so much to cut here together it's going to be like, I'm so glad that you're doing that and I'm writing the description. <laughs> um, but um, I can't help. I will. <laughs> I'll do what I can. Won't take me too long. Um, but yeah, but um, one thing that's really interesting about um, someone like that bribery who I'd now got introduced to through their Instagram channel. I got introduced mm. to their music, you know, for a while it was like, well, MySpace was sort of like mm. 
the True. only way to do it for a long time. And then there's SoundCloud and then people started posting stuff on Facebook, like the, and there's whole subgenres out there that conversation for another time. <laughs> but I find that like, particularly because he is also like a visual artist as well. Mm. Um, as part of his practice, he's a multidisciplinarian, Definitely. Or whatever you want to call it. And very, very good and very, very considered at both as well. Yeah, um, and I can get that through, you know, a couple of 30-second videos. Absolutely. It's, it is that, that accessibility of that immediacy. You know. mm. Yeah. All right, Bray, let's wrap it up. That's uh, a good start, I reckon. Yeah, I like it. Filtered noise or slash malt out slash uh, what was the one we came up the grid. The grid. Yeah. The, the grid. All right. Yeah. Until uh, so. next time. Thank you for listening to Filtered Noise. Please subscribe to the podcast, review us, and get in touch via faultycat.com.au or Instagram slash filterednoisecast. This has been a Faulty Cat production. The music that opens and closes the podcast is by Melbourne artist Bribery. Check him out on Instagram slash thisisbribery, all one word.